0: You're listening to Redemption City Church. For more information, check us out at redemptioncitychurch.com. Good morning, Redemption City Church. Great to be with you again, whether you're coming at us on Facebook Live or uh, YouTube. It's a, it's a great delight to have you with us this morning. Um, So much going on in our world right now, feels like we moved right from the COVID-19 crisis right into this thing of of racial injustice without hardly taking a breath and um, obviously there's a lot of heat and a lot of stuff going on around this conversation about uh, race and justice or race and injustice and so I'd like to speak into that a little bit with you this morning and uh, I don't want to say this from the outside. That while uh, these are political hot buttons for us in our day and and uh, there's political uh, wrestling on, on both sides of this thing, I do want to say for us, as much as these are political issues when they're outside of the church, for us inside the church, they cannot be political issues. For us inside the church, there have to be theological issues. And so as we begin to look at scripture this morning, as we begin to look at the word of God and the heart of God, on these issues, that's where we as a local church are going to make our stand. Um, I'm not going to make any political statements, and to be honest with you, I probably never will. That's for other people to wrestle with. What is for us to wrestle with as a prophetic community, as a community that catches the heart of God, is the theological issues around these things. And so I want to lay for you two scriptural foundations this morning as we kick off. And uh, the first one comes out of Luke chapter 10, and it's the well work text that comes at us a little different way, but it uh, carries around the issue of of what is the greatest commandment. And so uh, the first point, the first theological point we want to make around this thing is simply this, that we are called to love God and love our neighbor. And so in Luke chapter 10, the Pharisee asks Jesus this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gives him the same answer that he gives the Pharisees when they ask the question about what is the greatest commandment. And so here we go, we're going to pick up in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. And to that Jesus says in verse 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, this man. And so he asks the question, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on to tell the story of a good Samaritan. And in the good Samaritan, everybody's identified. The priest is identified. The Levite is identified. The Samaritan is identified. There's one person in that story that is not identified. And that's the person that was set upon by the robbers. He's referred to four times in that text, four times in the next couple of verses, he's referred to. And every single time he is simply referred to as a man. Now that in what is what we call a deliberate omission. It's not they didn't know who he was, they didn't know what he was. It's simply a deliberate omission, and it's there to lead us down a path that I believe would lead us to this thing. He's not described, he's not identified, he's simply described as a man. Which leads us to believe that that man represents all men, or by implication, mankind. And uh, you you know this, we've spoken about this many, many times, when we reverse engineer the, the greatest commandment. The Pharisees ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. And we reverse engineer that, and we say, okay... We are the the high calling of love. We are called to love people at such a high level that the only thing that should supersede our love for people is our love for God. And so we can see that in in the scripture again, you know, that Jesus affirms this thing of the greatest commandment. And uh, I want to read you a little quote that I picked up this week. And it says this, it says, what binds mercy and justice together is love. So for mercy and justice to be effective and genuinely reflect God's own character, they have to be rooted in love. Needless to say, there can be no racial reconciliation if love is absence. Otherwise, it is simply racial tolerance. And so there's something in this thing for us this morning, friends. This first theological point that we want to make around this thing of race and injustice is this thing, is that we are called to love our fellow man. It's right through Scripture, and we're going to jump into something else in just a minute. It has often been said that the opposite of love is not hatred, but apathy. The opposite of love is not hatred, but apathy. And I want to tell you, this kind of love for our fellow man does not sit on the sideline. This kind of love for our fellow man does not stay silent. This kind of love steps in, speaks up, and steps up. And I believe churches and church leaders that are silent or sitting on the fence at this time, friends, are, are missing an incredible opportunity to speak up for racial reconciliation and justice in our nation. We can see this concept of mankind go all the way back to the creation. And uh, we believe this. You, you, If you've listened to our preaching, you know this. We are convinced that there's this great gospel narrative that goes right from creation, Genesis, right to the book of Revelation, where we are called to this great consummation of the, of, the, of the bridegroom with his bride. And so we see the creation story. We see the creation of Adam. And we are left with no, no, other, no other kind of concept other than this, that Adam is racially generic. I'd love for anybody to tell me what race Adam was. It's not in Scripture. And so we can imagine it, we can think it. But truthfully, if we're going to go to the Word of God, Adam is racially generic, and uh, which means that if he's racially generic, he represents all races. What a beautiful thing, that every race, therefore, is created in the image of God, and every race, therefore, can bear the image of God into this lost, hurt, broken world. So mankind made in the image of God, irrespective of of racial distinction, and therefore all sharing in the dignity and glory of being image bearers of Christ. But it gets better than that. It gets better. So in Genesis 10, we have the table of nations, and uh, that word nations is more ethnos, it's more ethnic, it's more racial than what we understand in our days, like nations and flags and borders. In those days, they spoke about races rather than um, uh, nations with flags and names, etc. And so Genesis 10 We have this table of nation or this table of ethnos or this table of ethnic groups. And in Genesis 11, we see the Tower of Babel. And uh, they build the tower. They all fall under the judgment of God, right? Every nation, every race, every ethnos under under the, the judgment of God. Now, that doesn't seem like good news, but it absolutely is good news. And in Genesis 12, we see this that uh, God speaks to Abraham and He says, You are going to be a blessing to all nations. Same word, all ethnos. And so the fact that all nations, all ethnos, fall under the judgment of God in in chapter 11 means that we equally all fall under the blessing of God and are equally eligible for salvation and regeneration under the Abrahamic promise of Genesis 12. I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all nations. That blessing, friend, is Jesus all nations. Jesus is a blessing to all nations, all all ethnos, all racial groupings. I believe church leaders that are sitting on the sideline are missing an opportunity, friends. I heard of a pastor recently who said the church just needs to drop anchor and wait out the storm. I want to tell you nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. I wish I could tell you stories about how the church, for the sake of time, we just can't get into it. I wish I could tell you stories of, of the role the church played in apartheid coming down in South Africa, maybe for another time. As I said, I heard of this this pastor that said, let's just drop anchor, let's just wait out the storm. I don't believe that's the call of God on on the church in our day. And uh, my second point, the first point was this, we call to love God and love people as ourselves. The second point is this, gonna come out of Revelation 7 verse nine, and we know that, that beautiful text And it's this, uh, Revelation 7 verse 9, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation. There's that word again, ethnos, every tribe. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. As I said, every nation, every race equally able to find regeneration in Christ. They were wearing white robes. And we were holding branches in their hand, and they cried out in a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so we see every nation, every ethnos, all the way from Genesis to the book of Revelation. We see all nations, all ethnos standing before the throne. And so, my second point in this thing, as we've said, we're going to lay a little bit of, of a theological foundation for this thing. My second point out of, out of Revelation 7, verse 9, is the church is called to have a prophetic voice and to be a prophetic community. You see, this throng of people made up from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. I want to tell you, friends, we are always called to be a prophetic voice. We are always called to be a prophetic voice. Like I said, we're not called to remain silent in this thing. We're not called to sit on the sidelines in this thing. We are called to have a prophetic voice. What a time for churches to be heard. What a time for the church to have that prophetic voice and to be that prophetic community that points towards this incredible community that we will see in the last days every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Let me tell you, friends, we're called to be the prophetic voice. We're also called to be the prophetic community. We're called to be the people that can live this out, that can demonstrate something of that prophetic picture that we see in the book of, of Revelation. We are called to demonstrate something of it in our day that points towards that. And I, I just, I'm just, i flabbergasted, like I said, hearing this pastor say, we just need to sit on the sidelines. We just need to wait it out. I'm like, if, if it is not our job to have that prophetic voice, or our job to demonstrate that prophetic community around every nation, complete racial reconciliation. If it's not our job as the church to do that, I'm not sure whose it is. I believe by evidence of scripture, it is 100% our job to do that. So church, we, we are called to love God. We are called to love people. Secondly, we are called to be the prophetic voice around this thing of racial reconciliation and justice, not just to be the voice, to demonstrate it in our very community and so uh, I want to land with this this morning John chapter 4 gives us an incredible uh, picture of how Jesus dealt with these things, and as we've said, Jesus is always our model, always our example, always what we want to aim at, always what we want to what we want to strive to. And I believe we have a Jesus model for this thing in our day, for racial reconciliation in our day. And in John chapter four, and it's pretty much the whole chapter one to forty-two. We're just going to focus on a couple of verses for this morning. But in John one, uh, John four, chapter one to forty-two, tells the story of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. There are so many cultural layers to the story. We could do a series on on all the, on all the cultural layers to the story um, that we need to understand. Honestly, we need to understand some of them, at least, to even understand the context of what Jesus is going to do here. But we're going to concentrate this morning, as I said, seven verse 7, John 4, verse 7 to verse 10. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So he's on his own at the well. Um, it's kind of midday-ish. And this woman comes out of the, out of the city um, to draw water. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. It's her and him on their own in this account. In verse 9, she says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not have anything to do with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And Jesus in speaking to her, Jesus in speaking to her breaks so many cultural barriers. The first one is this, men were not allowed to speak to women in public. Never mind privately one-on-one. Men were not allowed to speak to women in public. In fact, men rarely spoke to their wives In public, it was frowned upon for a man even to speak to his wife in public. But the biggest cultural rule that Jesus breaks here is found in the woman's response: "You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan. How can you ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink of water?" And I want to tell you, friends, that is 100% a racial issue right there. This is race. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. And I want to say this. That the the Jews and Samaritans at that point have had five years, five hundred years of hatred towards each other, stemming all the way back from the from the Greeks basing their their military operations in Samaria and and um, uh, and suppressing the Jews and and then the Jews destroying one of their temples and then the Samaritans coming back and destroying the Jewish temple right before Passover these two groups of people absolutely hated each other and it was racially based and it had been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years But Jesus does not even acknowledge her statement and he does not even affirm her statement He simply goes right to the heart if you knew the gift of God And I want to say this when so much of what we see today is around the arguments and around people trying to prove themselves right or to affirm their position as superior. And I want to tell you 100%, friends, 100%, we are not called to win arguments. We are called to win disciples. And we see this in what Jesus does. doesn't get into this mental thing of mental gymnastics or, no, you're right, you are a Samaritan, I am a Jew. doesn't even go there. goes right to the heart, goes right to discipleship. If you knew the gift of God and what was being offered to you, and goes straight to the heart. And we know the end of the story. The end of the story is the the woman lays a couple more um, racial, cultural, religious barriers in front of Jesus. Jesus keeps going straight to the heart. She comes to acknowledge that he is the Messiah. She goes back to her village, becomes the first woman preacher in in biblical history. She goes back to her village, tells her village, comes see a man that told me everything I ever knew. They come out to see Jesus and many disciples are one that day. Isn't that the goal? Isn't that the goal rather than winning arguments or trying to prove ourselves right? And I want to say this, friends, what a great model for us in our day. Some people, it seems like, on social media and everywhere else seem to have this overwhelming desire to win the argument. They seem to have this overwhelming desire to be right. And I want to tell you, friends, that can never find its way into the church. These are not about arguments. These are about theological issues. Like I said, these can be political issues and political arguments when they're out there. But for us in the church, these are theological issues. We're going to stand on the heart of God and the word of God through these things. If we're going to see progress made, we're going to have to buy wholeheartedly into the Jesus model. Wholeheartedly into the Jesus model. Winning disciples, not winning arguments. If we're going to see true generational change come to and through the church and to and in our nation in these days, the church is going to have to stand on theological foundations in this thing. There's not a single place in scripture where we are called to tolerate each other. I'm going to read that text, that uh, quote again. What binds mercy and justice together is love. So for mercy and justice to be effective and genuinely reflect God's own character, they have to be rooted in love. Needless to say, there can be no racial reconciliation if love is absent. Otherwise, it is simply racial tolerance. There's not one place in this Word of God that we are called to tolerate each other. Not a single place. We're called to love each other. There's not a single place in Scripture where we're called to play it safe. Well, let's just play it safe. Let's see which way the storm blows and and then we'll come out. That's not our calling, friends. There's not a single place in Scripture that we are called to remain silent on issues of, of justice. injustice. God spoke to us in the transition five years ago, said this, will you allow me to show you what I can do through a church that truly loves lost, hurt, broken people? And we, five years ago, we said yes to that thing. Yes, Lord, we do want to see what a church looks like, or what you can do through a church that truly loves lost, hurt, broken people. Still our endeavor, still something we think about, still something we pray about, still something we wrestle with and want to see worked out in the life of the church. And listen, friends, we don't do that. We don't get there. We don't see what God can do through a church that truly loves broken people by tolerating, by staying silent, by sitting on the sideline. We're going to have to own up to some of these things. We're going to have to be the church, be the prophetic voice, and be the prophetic community that God has called us to be in this time. God bless you, friends. I'm going to pray for you real quick. And uh, trust this is helpful in this in this current situation. This this is who we call to be as a community, and this is who we are going to be as a community. So, Father, we love you, we bless you. I thank you for the incredible, amazing people that make up Redemption City Church, Father. I ask Lord in this time that you would lead us and guide us. We pray that prayer so often, Psalm seventy-three. Would you lead us by our right hand through this thing as well, Father? Through this current situation of 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 racial reconciliation and and seeing justice come at at a a much higher level, Father. We ask Psalm 73, would you lead us, Father, by our right hand? Would you cause us, Lord, to be the church that you've called us to be? Would you call us to be that prophetic voice? Would you energize us and, and call us and stir us, Lord, to be the prophetic voice and the prophetic community that you've called us to be, Father? We love you. We bless you. Thank you for your word that stands true in every situation. Thank you for your word that demolishes arguments and tears down strongholds father that's what we are going to make our stand on in jesus name amen amen my friend Liz. god bless you we love you don't forget those uh, those two email addresses rcc cares if you have any physical needs or financial needs please reach out to us we'd love to stand with you in this time and also pray at redemption or pray at redemption if you have any prayer needs through this time we love you god bless you um, We cannot wait to see you and be together again. God bless you.